Welcome to part two of episode 37. So this is 37.2 of Sim Sundays by Gridfinder. This is the Vasaro interview with Neville. And like we said in the previous episode, it was a very long one. Tom missed two trains. Just such an interesting guy to talk to. Tom, what do we have in store for this second part? It's really... It's, it. I honestly got so deep into this. I absolutely loved it. So as uh, if you've listened to the first episode, you'll know that that was all about Neville's story, where he started, how he got into this. Now, the second part, we go really into Vasaro and V-Rig. Uh, now, we were lucky enough to uh, experience V-Rig at the Sim Racing Expo at Nuremberg, uh, Chris, last year. Um, and V-Rig is a more consumer-focused rig it's it's expensive it's definitely premium consumer it's yeah. not the four five hundred pound level of a track racer next level racer play seat etc mm -hmm. it's like 1200 pounds for their for their base model so it is premium but it's very very different to anything else and there's a really interesting conversation we have about open source web development okay. and aluminium profiling being like the sim racing hardware equivalent so okay Listen out for that. Interesting. Well, enjoy this second part of the Fasaro interview, and we'll see you on the other end. Uh, customers, so you're pivoting based on the fact yeah, that you're was, getting a higher-end customer. I was telling you about the the customer. Um, yeah, the first customer, big commercial customer. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, so that first year, we, you know, things were, were definitely challenging, and... As I was as I was saying, we were um, yeah, built built the whole business from from nothing really, with no funding, no investors, and yeah, there was definitely some some doubts in that first year of you know could could we just come in as as a late mover and uh, and make a successful business here? You know who who do, who do I think I am really? Like all these other companies were already they built the market, not me, and um, and then we. You know, just when my my doubts were sort of starting to creep in a, a little bit, I we had this um, you know call from Sim Raceway, um, who was mentioned before, who built built the game, and they wanted ten, eleven simulators, and they needed them in time for in Indianapolis five hundred. So all of a sudden, it was like, okay, we <laughs> we got to get serious now, and they were all they were motion. Uh, not all motion, I think two motion and uh, a bunch of static rigs. And we had to, yeah, we had to build these rigs quick. So this was our first sort of commercial commercial customer, which really kind of showed us this this whole world of, you know, I mean, I'm, I was very adept to the, to the world of commercial clients. I'd been doing it for a long time. So this was mm. definitely more my world, actually, of, of speaking and dealing with corporations and not, necessarily di direct to consumer so it was quite an, an easy thing for me to jump into uh, and deliver to a commercial client and speak to them on on their level and how they uh, respond to the the kind of demands that they had and yeah at the time our, our unit was so small it was a thousand square foot unit that to build the rigs by the time we'd built all 11 rigs ready for collection they didn't even fit in the unit <laughs> and we were we were creating them up outside um fingers crossed that it you know that it was nearly going to rain at one point um until until the you know FedEx came to collect so we were literally every little square foot of space you couldn't even get in the unit 
because it was stacked from front to back. With, that is a proper with, startup bootstrap story, isn't uh, it? It was completely. Like, I couldn't even get get to my desk um, to to answer an email or something because it was all blocked in with crates. And yeah, obviously it, that was a success. We got it. We got it to the event on time. It was a high pressure sort of had to get there for the Indianapolis 500 and they were all on display and the public were using them and kind of it started from there in terms of the commercial customers the professional racing driver um, base that we have definitely came with time as Mm. we developed and we were able to sort of start offering a more professional solution which was a bit hard back in the day when you're dealing with you know the kind of controls there wasn't really direct drive on the market um so it was a it was a challenge to offer a solution that would work for a professional racing driver Um, you're almost ahead of your time in that sense that your products were so high-end had had the capability of dealing with so much could be so bespoke but actually at the end of it the the thing that you're actually touching is a g27 it's um you were ahead of your time yeah yeah the 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 controls were definitely you know, in terms of creating a complete balanced experience, you know, you've at that point we had the, the D box um, Gen One motion, which is still can still mm. hold hold itself uh, to its yeah. own. It's incredible, and um, you know, if we had access to big screens. You had these you know, big visuals and really accurate physical motion, and then you had this quite weak control yeah. system and soft pedals. They were definitely they were the weak point in you know in the puzzle without a doubt and at this point this you know this is an assumption on my part but you must have been learning a hell of a lot because at theory seven you had a desk a load of people and a computer and now you've got like stuff you know you've got a warehouse you've got tools you've got you've got to store things you've got to then have a logistics you've got a supply chain of stuff coming in to build these rigs and then your supply chain going out to your customers bit commercial or or b2c how did you find that transition from you know the the digital to physical i mean although although you say you know desk and a computer one of the things that was quite unique about our my my digital media company was we had our own render farm so mm. we had a, a physical render farm with approximately 30 computers like 30 render nodes and then a whole bunch of separate nodes dual processors quad processors um multiple air conditioning units to be able to cool the whole thing because it was like a, a giant and um, you so, were quite so a, involved in that design I, I, built, I built the whole thing yeah. right okay and so you've always okay so it's always it. been a big part of what you do yeah I mean I kind of I was I did a lot of IT I worked in um I never wanted to be in the IT world but I kind of fell into IT I was I worked at Deutsche Bank for a couple of years in in the IT department and I worked in you know I was I did a lot of work on the Y2K, like working for loads of different companies, preparing for the end of the world, um, which is the, <laughs> the big Y2K um, <laughs> scare, which which uh, when it eventually ticked over, nothing happened. But yeah, yeah. huge amounts of money were spent on IT um, infrastructure at the time. And I did a lot of work on that and networks and servers. And so I was doing a lot of work in the physical space and um, that helped, obviously. So it wasn't just sitting at a computer using software. I was sort of mm. used to was used to building, you know, dealing with physical hardware. And I, you know, even back back at university, I had a B 
business building computers and selling them to students you know just to pay my way i was a that's interesting that's <laughs> there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a funny um similarity there between uh yourself and andre erickson um ceo of acetech because okay. he he started acetech by selling cooling systems to his mates at university too yep <laughs> okay very interesting that's, yeah i mean i started before I went to university, I was actually, I was, I was working for British Telecom as a part-time job before going to uni. We were pole testing. So we'd go and dig out the pole and um, test to see if it was rotten and blah, blah, blah. It was a, a cushy little job, um, summer job. <laughs> and uh, I was just talking to one of the, the other BT engineers and, that you know, I was involved with computers and he was like, oh, can you build me a computer? And I was like, okay, I'll build you a computer. I'd never built one before. And I found out that in London, they had these computer markets and you go to a market and you could buy all the components and you'd literally queue up for the guy selling the RAM and he'd be literally like testing the RAM chips and you'd buy the RAM and you'd buy the hard drives. It was, I don't even know yeah, if these yeah. things exist anymore. It was very, That's very cool. Was I hope very, they do. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, it was pretty cool. I bought <laughs> a flea the, market for PCs. Yeah, it was literally a flea market. And, um, <laughs> Bought all the parts. It took me like two weeks to build this computer. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. They were quite tricky to build back then. Not now. Like yeah. computers are so easy, just plug and play. They were quite a challenge back then. And um, yeah, it, it, I had problems with it. I had to give him his money back in the end. But I got better. I improved. And yeah, my first year at university, I was going to the markets in London and buying components. There wasn't really online um, shopping back then and putting these computers together and selling them to all the students and sort of paying my way through uni I didn't have any help um you know I didn't have like rich parents or anything like that that could help me so I had to had to pay my own way basically and that was the way I the way I did it it was it was a lot of fun that students knocking at my door and in my, my dorm room can you build me a computer please or they'd bring me something to fix and stuff <laughs> yeah it was a it was an interesting time that is very cool so, yeah I mean I guess it all all started there and um yeah but in answer to your question about sort of the the move to dealing with warehouses and lots of physical staff and manufacturing and everything yeah that that was a yeah, uh, you went you went off completely. Though. Oh yeah, I did just then. Yeah, because I could leave yeah. to then come back in. Oh yeah, I won't leave. Yeah. I won't leave. I won't leave when you're when you're still talking. <laughs> if you if you if you ask me to sit in a room on my own and talk to myself about myself, <laughs> I that might be just going a step too far. That's, yeah, that would be like <laughs> the la- got my limits. laziest podcast host ever. <laughs> So here's a list of yeah, questions. Yeah. Let me know when you're done. I'll be back in an yeah, hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're pushing it there, Tom. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, cool. So I'll carry on. I think I remember where I was at. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting transition that definitely involved a lot of learning, but it wasn't something really that phased me. It was just, I just had to do these things. I had to, I had to learn these things. I didn't. I wasn't really overwhelmed or daunted by it. In fact, at that point, I was really just thinking, I want to be the best in the industry and I want this to be a big company and nothing else really. I didn't, you know, it was, that was my goal. So I had to, but yeah, I had to learn a lot. I had to, um, 
I, I did have a partner in those initial six months, but after that, I then had to learn how to, you know, I was on my own and I had to learn CAD, I had to learn CAD design. I already knew 3D modeling and animation, so it was quite an easy, quite an easy transition for me to learn CAD. But really, what CAD, I, you know, the thing with CAD is everything has to be exact because you're going to send it to a machine and the machine is going to produce a part. Whereas in 3D, when you're producing it for visual, mm. it doesn't really matter. You can stuff something into the side of something, and things can intersect. It doesn't matter as long as it looks right. on the screen. So that was quite a learning process. That okay, things have to be insanely obsessively perfect in CAD um I had to learn about manufacturing processes like well how do I actually get this part that's from this machine and turn that into a physical a physical object how do I do that well what what are the machines that do that um and although I'd had like I said I'd had some exposure to that at university on one of on one of the courses but the reality is was that it was all to learn everything was to to learn and um yeah in those early days i manufactured locally working with local companies uh, which was a real challenge i found in england um it was you know i think british manufacturing was definitely a shadow of its former self mm. um and i knew at the time that if i wanted to produce high volume and, and to do it right i needed to to go overseas which is what i did and um so those early years we we manufactured in China, um, the, the, the metal work, which ended up being far higher quality than the, uh, the local companies, um, surprisingly. Um, and, you know, I guess that moves on later. We can discuss about how we then took everything in house and we, we manufacture everything in house now, but yeah, it was a, it was a interesting process and from nothing, um, we we actually started in a garage. The very first frame was welded up in a garage. The classic cliche um, story. Um, <laughs> I've got pictures and video of us literally welding a frame up in a in a garage, and before we got our first unit, and, and it kind of developed from there, really. So, it, but yeah, it's it's really. I find it really interesting that with, with every project you've had, it seems that you've always started from the detail and worked outwards like you, you know you, you could do it sounds to me like you could do pretty much every process that, that, that's required yeah. in a product so you're saying there that you're you're welding as well as CAD designing as well as you know you know probably building the website that sells the things like it's it, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it's kind of a, a very holistic approach for a, a founder to to take I think um I mean there's two ways you can start a business one you you have an idea and you have the ability to drive an idea uh, and you know what needs to be done in order to make it happen and you get funding to then make that happen you get investors or you know it's not very easy in england to get any decent amount of bank funding mm. so um not like america where you know there's much better opportunity to get investment um or you have all the skills yourself or you learn all the skills yourself and you do it yourself so you know, if you're, if I did not had those skill sets or or been willing to learn those skill sets, I would have needed investment in order to pay for the website to be built. Yeah. You know, our, our original website was a had a full three D configurator that all that three D modeling needed doing, um, all the photography, all of the um, the graphic design, all of the CAD design, um, and building prototypes, 
all of those elements would have needed teams of people to be hired or external companies to be hired, which would have taken a lot of investment. Um, I had that skill set. I had all of those skills and the ones I didn't, I learned. And what it resulted in was we, you know, developed Vasaro without needing any investors um, or big loans or anything. So, and then we've carried the business on like that to this day. So we still don't have any investors, um, 100% owned and no debt. So we're very strong um, position as a company. But how um, how hands on are you now? Because you know, if you if you were still doing the website and the three D designs and the animation and obviously the welding, like you'd be burnt out. There's far too much to do. So, how did you yep. progress into kind of getting to a, a role a role where you kind of overseeing, or did you? Yeah, I mean, so the way we've always well, the way we built the company was everyone we hire is a technician generally everyone we have hired for it's it's changing a little bit now we're we're actually doing a massive recruitment drive of 20 new we're going to be hiring 20 new people um in the next probably two months um and it's a, a little bit of a different strategy and but for the last 11 years our, our strategy has always been hire hire technicians you come in as a technician someone willing to learn it from the ground up how to build simulators um and some of those people would have sort of, they'd have things that they did in their spare time or they'd have skills on the side. Um, and we'd recognize that. And at some point there may be an opportunity for them to, to develop that skill. Right. Whether it was someone who, you know, was doing, had a YouTube channel on the side or, you know, played around with video editing or, you know, liked playing with 3d or, or was playing with CAD, uh, CAD or even doing electronics in their spare time. All of those things I just said, we've got a guy that started as a technician and had those things on the side. Yeah. And eventually they became, you know, as the company grew, they there became a position for them to grow into those positions. So we never went out and hired an electronics engineer who, you know, was coming in completely fresh to, to our company and knew nothing about the product. We never went out and hired a, a video production guy or a, CAD guy they all came mm. uh, from technicians so we now have dedicated uh, video media production in-house um, who, who's also doing 3D I'm teaching all these skills down we have dedicated uh, CAD engineering um, team all from technicians a dedicated electronics engineer um, who was again originally a technician and um, the kind of the list goes on really even our sales um, team uh, our originally technicians our, we have a dedicated social media team or who are all technicians so every that's nuts everyone yeah it's a, it's great we've got this amazing team that is what you actually need to be able to deliver the level of product that we need you know you, you can't just hire people in mm. who it's um you could to a degree but i think what we've done is is stronger um, everyone knows how to build simulators and it sometimes it it becomes super useful like some crazy project will come along that there's no avoiding the timing on it um, Saudi Aramco we had to build a whole bunch of simulators in time for the Jeddah F1 race and it was it, we either turn the project down or we or we say yeah we'll do it and we'll make it happen 
And to make it happen, it meant a whole bunch of people jumping in from social media, from sales, from CAD, yeah, yeah. from video production departments. All the they pumps. all jumped in and they all knew how to build simulators because they'd been doing it for years. They'd all had several years worth of time um, building the sims uh, and even going out and doing customer installs. So they were able to even jump in and help out um, if we needed to go and set them up because the big, um, the Saudi Arabia event we did, we had like four events happening all at the same time for a whole month um, in Saudi Arabia and then at the, the Jeddah Grand Prix at the end. So it took like half of our company. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a really amazing resource. So, so we've developed that going forward because actually we just hire people in to do a specific role. They miss out on all of that. They mm. miss out on all of those years worth of experience and also don't have that tool set in them if we need them to, to jump in and help out. That's very interesting. So, That's very interesting. Yeah. There's, um, there's a parallel there with a, a, a bizarre parallel, to be honest, um, with like my, my former life in the Navy. They had this concept, concept, which was sailor first. So it didn't matter if you were an electrical engineer, a weapons engineer, a chef, right. a medic you know um a logistics officer or like me i was i was uh, a bridge officer so driving the ship you were all sailors first because it, at your very core you all had to be able to go out onto the upper deck tie a bowling and help with a man overboard or bringing the ship alongside you all had to have that core set of skills and experience and then you'd kind of you know you'd branch off but it was that sailor first concept which is it's kind of exactly the same as as what yeah, you built that's amazing. And I never knew, I never even heard of that. I mean, I don't know nothing about the Navy. Um, now I'm just going to be, have, have to be careful when I speak about this in the future to not use the Navy as a reference, as if, <laughs> as if it's something that was ever part of a uh, part of my strategy. Cause it definitely wasn't, but it makes yeah, total I mean, sense exactly though. It. Cause you have, then everybody has this shared yeah. experience and it also brings the team a lot closer together because you look at the person next to you and although they might be doing a different job, you can relate to them more because in your case, yeah. you all know how to build a simulator. And if yeah. do you and do you how often do you get um in the factory building simulators? If you've got if you get a big job come in, do you log off and head head to the factory no. and build? No. No, I don't there's just never there's never that time. Because if things were mega busy, there would still be things that would need me that would be a priority. I over. bet you'd like so to though. That's, Oh yeah, I would love to. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. <laughs> it, when I do get my when I do get my hands dirty, I normally choose to do sweeping up. I right. know that might sound a bit strange, but if there's an opportunity, we're preparing for a big visit or something, uh, and I'm sort of mucking in and yeah, you know, telling people put this here, tidy this up. I'll grab a I'll grab a broom if I see one, and and I'll sweep up because there's a it's such a simple thing that when you're mind and your day is filled with such complexity that sweeping up is is very satisfying yeah <laughs> in that moment it's a it's a strange thing um and the guys probably think oh he thinks he's helping out and stuff but <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a slightly selfish thing for me but it's yeah it's quite satisfying um, it's like a bit of self-care <laughs> yeah yeah i mean look there's i think where i get involved is i will be ten, i'll tend to be walking around and mm. helping the guys and showing them things that need uh you know is maybe needs improving or giving them some little some tips and stuff we're we're a big team now so there's there's enough people in the company that 
it doesn't need me to be you know building simulators but i would i would love to i would love to have the time to to build one uh, but i've got a really great management team now that that can do it better than me and that's that's the key yeah and that's what i want i want people who can do do these tasks better than me and that's always my goal is to employ people and then train them up and then watch them excel past me to the point where you know I, they, they probably wouldn't want me um messing around with the simulator <laughs> right now um because there's aspects of it that are um have gone past me because i'm not um you know i'm not involved in the, the intricate wiring details and and where something you know where something is channeled through the simulator um i'm not doing that on a daily basis mm. so it sounds like an incredibly empowering place to work it sounds like you give you give, give people a lot of rain a lot of free rain to build their own a lot areas of responsibility within the company Absolutely. almost organically I mean, it sounds completely and and we always say to people you know when in the interview process essentially you can create your own opportunity create your own career and you can find it it's what one thing you'll find with very big corporations is that when people come into a company they're very much probably coming into a very specific defined role with a ladder and to follow yeah and that ladder might be quite defined yeah. and quite hard to to move around um and that's not really the case of a sorrow Sounds... if you see something that is something you're interested in there's the opportunity to move mm. into it or even create create your own um create your own career oh. and create your own job that doesn't exist yet yeah i was about to say it mm. sounds like you encourage entrepreneurship quite i mean i'll be honest i feel like we haven't even scratched the surface yet no i know i, I just i just <laughs> looked down at the time then i can't believe it because this has been an hour and a half yeah. and i feel like i mean i could keep going for another hour yeah like i'm <laughs> to make this a two-parter whatever you, i mean if you I'm, I'm happy to go as long as you want it's not a problem the whole day is dedicated to you so um oh that's very kind go until you're you're done with me or until, until i tell you that my uh Blood, yeah. blood pressure's raised too much and I need, <laughs> I need to quit. <laughs> I know my blood pressure is going through the roof because I feel so like privileged to have this time and the computer has chosen today of all days to keep turning the, the camera off, which I know is incredibly frustrating. Um but we'll, we'll battle through. So apologies for that. That's fine. Um did we round up with what we were talking about? We did. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. It was perfect. We talked about entrepreneurship. Okay, so um so we spoke about Saudi Aramco and that was a you know a huge huge gig that's kind of probably defined the kind of like the later um, the later years of uh, Vasaro and you had the F1 arcade which was sixty rigs and now another sixty in Birmingham plus you know you, you're talking about um, the US and yeah we doing... know they've got plans for 50, 50 no, centers Chi between now and twenty twenty five we've actually already started on Chicago which is uh, wow over seventy over seventy rigs. So we're actually doing that at the same time as as Birmingham. So we're we're building over 120 simulators at the moment um, for F1 Arcade, which is a pretty pretty major undertaking, um, which is obviously fueling um, part of our expansion. So yeah, but so my, I suppose I suppose my point was that you've you've kind of dominated this higher end of the market. This very kind of bespoke um bespoke rigs for say racing drivers and then your b2b arms so sim racing centers that that want you know 10 20 or 70 nuts rigs yeah. in a single place um 
but you've recently, I was about to say announced V-Rig, but actually V-Rig's been going for a little while. I suppose yeah. you've just kind of acknowledged V-Rig as part of the Vasaro family. How, yeah. What What was the, take us back to when that started. Was that, was that a product of your kind of entrepreneurial setup at Vasaro? And why was it, why was it kind of, um, not hidden, I suppose, but it wasn't, you didn't announce it as a Vasaro brand straight away. Yeah. So V-Rig, I guess, has been bubbling and in my head for as long as I can remember, probably going back five, six years, Um, maybe even longer, because I think at the moment when we started, when Vasaro started to move towards, you know, our, our very much our clientele is high net worth, professional racing drivers, commercial entertainment um you know commercial and um, commercial businesses and as soon as we became very much embedded in those you know with that as our client base vrig was being born in my head it wasn't called vrig but i always knew that i wanted to continue to serve the um the sim racing community and the more affordable um end of the market i didn't want mm. to just become uh, to only ever be serving, you know, big commercial businesses uh, and, you know, high net worth clients. Um, so it was born in that uh, straight away. Um, but it was always like in my mind working on it, how I could make it work and, you know, what kind of design it would be. And then it was developed over the course of a year, um, you know, the product. And then we launched it. I I made the decision to launch it during the first lockdown of the pandemic and uh, I it it proved very challenging very very challenging we were launching a sort of a mass market product um self-assembly and then the shipping crisis hit and then the steel mm. steel prices went through the roof um because of the yeah. you know the demands and everything that was happening which made it very difficult to launch a mass market product in that way where you know the the price of shipping is so important less so for for Vasaro customers the budgets are are much higher and the price of steel has a massive impact and again less so for a Vasaro simulator the the cost of the steel it doesn't play a big part in the different margins yeah it doesn't play an overall part in the in the end in the end cost Uh, not necessarily that it's different margins it's more just you know the the overall budget that you're working with for a customer and um so that that had a had quite a big impact uh on vrig but it was okay because vrig was was something that was kind of had already always existed in my mind it was always going to happen and when it was going to happen it would happen with the support of Vasaro and it didn't need to it didn't need to hit the ground and and you know if it didn't have instant sales we would we would go out of business like a, a lot of new yeah, startups yeah, was. Yeah. Um, it was like having a, having a child. It had a, it had a good parent that was going to look after it and bring it up and, uh, and give it the opportunity to, to find its own way. And that's what we also wanted to do when we, when we um, branded V-Rig is it needed to sit on its own and speak its own language and speak to the right type of people. And because Vasaro doesn't speak to the sim racing community in this in the same way as viewing mm. can it's a different type of conversation it's a different type of discussion with customers and it's it's um 
it just made sense to be to have it as a separate brand and we also then made the decision to kind of kick it out into the world completely on its own with zero followers zero social media and to not pump it from from Vasaro. I mean I think we've got like quarter of a million followers on TikTok and 170,000 followers on Instagram which I think is quite big for for this in for our industry mm, um yeah but we made the decision to kind of let it just be its own thing which was which was kind of quite a good it was a way to sort of to gain research uh, in terms of the interest into into the product so again we were in a position where we could just take our time with it and just see what happened see what the what, you know what the feedback was in it on its own without anyone um without it just being fed from Vasaro. Yeah. so we then made the decision uh, when sim expo came that we wanted both companies there and how do you do that without without one <laughs> sort of knowing the other uh have two just give spaces. each other sly looks across the hall exactly and like do i run between the two and give interviews at one and then put a moustache on and a hat to, to <laughs> interview at the other booth so it was like okay this is a great opportunity to just let people know that v-rig is is a creation of Fasaro, and um it didn't mean anything needed to change V-Rig will still continue to just develop itself on its own but yeah we we sort of announced it at that point um what we what we uh, made a decision to do with v-rig as well is for the time being we've got uh, the products are just turnkey systems uh, just a lot mm. more affordable than Vasaro. they kind of fill that gap between sort yeah. of zero and twelve thousand pounds uh, but our plan is still to have self-assembly kits that you can build yourself and bring that cost down even more yeah. so that is something we are working on and we're working on the the manufacturing and, and making sure that when that's in place, it's at the right price that it needs to be. So that's um, that is coming in the future, in the near future. Yeah, I was going to say because the V rig is is definitely, I don't know how what bracket you'd put this in, but perhaps premium affordable. You know, it's yeah. not it's not a uh, three or four hundred pounds. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like you're competing with say uh like gt omega or next level racing it's it's more well perhaps uh next level racing's like premium uh model and track races premium model perhaps you're competing but even then i think it's 1200 pounds for the basic v-rig with no screen etc so yeah. you, you're definitely you're definitely going for premium quality but what i liked is you look at v-rig and you're like hey this is our our foray into the consumer market but it doesn't look like anything else that you see in mm. the consumer market. So for a start, it's not aluminium profile. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't look like Vasaro. It hasn't got that classic Vasaro yeah. curve at the front. And then it's also got this like huge USP that no one else has done yeah. other than play seat, but you know, place and, and play seats like, um, uh, imitates if you like, where you can fold the thing up and put it away in a cupboard and it's got quite a, a small, floor space yep. so again it's right we're going to go into this very very crowded consumer market but using a, a blank piece of paper yep. and but you've aimed for the premium end of that market and i guess that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that you know we don't look at what everyone else is doing and mm. if we had we would have ended up launching a product that was an aluminium profile rig like everyone else 
we've we it's literally what's come out of my mind and and sitting with my engineers and you know we're playing with ideas and we're sketching we sit on the floor around the prototypes and and we're coming up with with just what is in our minds what we want to do with ideas based on stuff that we've learned and what's in front of us we've not got a whole bunch of other competing products in our dev, dev lab and copying trying to copy yeah. ideas when it's just not how we work it's just and that and the result of that is is great because you're you know what you're saying is is our intention is for some for it to not look like everything else and for it to have innovative innovative ideas that other people aren't doing um to touch on one thing though you said about you know where we seem to be targeting um but we are we definitely are planning to have a an even more affordable product which will start to bring us into those um sort of competing with those other companies but it will be v-rig grade strength and because that's the thing with the v-rig i think and if you manage to get a a go on it at sim expo but it's it's all very chunky and very strong yeah um but like super flexible at the same time so when we do a more affordable product it'll probably be like a more stripped back version of the of the s1 and it will but it will you know we'll be aiming at that more affordable uh price point because ultimately you know yeah we want sort of yeah we definitely want that bigger piece of uh, bigger piece of the market it's a it's a tough it's a tough place to play though you know you've got companies like uh, track racer and rc that have, uh, are way ahead of the of the game there but what we're not interested in doing is trying to play a catch-up game so we're not going mm-hmm. in thinking oh we've got to really catch up with track racer or play seat or anything like that because if we try and do that then that means we've got to try and imitate what they're doing in some way in order to catch up and that's not how we that's not how i think um we'll do our thing and we'll do it the way we want to do it and hopefully that will lead to success in v-rig um, on its own on its own right not because we're trying to play catch up to another company yeah that's very interesting and i'm intrigued to see what you come up with for for that space with with v-rig it's going to be very interesting to truly enter that kind of yeah, kind of like 350 to 700 pound yep. market that's got so many options and there are some there are some that are slightly different and there are some designs that haven't gone um with aluminium profile yep. so it'll be really interesting to see what you come up with and i suppose that actually that you've answered my next question which was where do you go from here you do b2b big sim centers you do high net worth individuals now you'll go you've gone for the premium end consumer and now it sounds like you're going for the average consumer that that that'll have that will mean you're covering the whole market right yeah and then what and, yeah and that was always the plan <laughs> from day one like actually day one of asaro i i said to myself i want to have a product that covers the whole market which was where the modular design kind of came in because the idea is mm. if you've got a modular design you can just reconfigure from the low end right up to the high end um and that worked to a degree but what we found was at the low end that you know if you try and have one company service the entire range it doesn't work because you are yeah. you're literally having a conversation with formula 1 on one call and the next thing someone is looking to buy the rig for as a birthday present for their son and both customers are just as important as the other but it's very you know it's it's very difficult like i was able to switch the hat very quickly but it's um not as easy to then 
build a company and expand it that has that type of such a massive difference in the customer and the type of conversation you're having um, and the demands of the different types of customers. So that's where it makes sense for, for VRIG to kind of be able to have its own own language and own understanding of, of its customers. Mm. So. Interesting. So, you know, you've, you must, since the advent of, of um, VRIG, and actually probably, let's be honest, right from the beginning of Vasara, you've been studying the sim racing space and you've been mm. studying you know the the even the the publishers that are coming out with the with new games um you must have um you must have had some thoughts around the ESL R1 series that's uh, that's just started what what's your what's your take on on their impact on sim racing and and how that's going to affect our market um so e- like esports esports sim racing um i mean it's the esports like industry we've we've kind of been sort of holding a bit back from it and we've not really been delving too much into it because up to now really the industry has you know it's mainly been supported by companies looking to just give 20 rigs basic setups um because there wasn't Mm. the money in the industry um to be able to fund anything more so the standard has been kind of set as well, which whichever company can afford to give a bunch of play seats with Thrustmaster wheels attached or something like that, and that's not yeah. really been of interest to us. So we've just kind of been, you know, staying really away from uh, the industry to a degree and waiting for it to mature. Uh, the pandemic obviously saw quite a big mm. um, push in that, and a lot of money going to the industry because really, from our point of view, it's like if we're if we're gonna get involved in in esports of any kind it's got to you know there's a there's a certain standard that we think it should be um and you can't do that just based on well how many rigs can they afford to give away yeah. for free to put in this in this arena that's not what it should be about it should be a certain standard that that races are racing on um absolute minimum it should have you know motion and direct drive and you know proper visual setup and sound and stuff they should be a physical interesting physical... That you said motion oh, sorry to, to cut in interesting <laughs> you say motion so do you think do you think motion has a, has a place in in esports level sim racing how could it how could it not be considered i mean like it's well, it Absolutely. hasn't been up to now right i think a lot yeah, of that's a lot my of, point it's, 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 <laughs> and, and that's why yeah. and that's why we've kind of avoided it because there isn't the money there hasn't been the money in it Oh, there's been the... But do you think it's about the money or do you think it's about to this point, the sim yeah. races? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um I think like like absolutely why wouldn't like it's it's a it's like a loop and the loop the circle has all of the elements in it to recreate what you experience in real life. So you've got your visual senses, your audio senses, your you know, in a in a real car, your body would be moving up and down, you'd have vibration. Um, and actually, if you don't have the motion, you've, you've, your loop is open. It's not a closed loop system. And, you know, yes, you can get away with it. Yes. Maybe you can drive just as fast, you know, some people might argue, Mm. but that's not the point in my, in my mind. Um, it's about recreating, um, the real experience physically. And although they are their own entities, like sim racing is an entity in its own right. 
it shouldn't just be a path to racing we don't we, we absolutely yeah. don't think that like you can have a path to become a sim racer and that's your career not everyone wants to get in a race car and yeah and yeah. put their lives at risk i i personally don't um i've got a, a family and i and a, and a daughter i don't want to do things that dangerous i'm not in my 20s anymore um I, I i absolutely see them as you know different entities but i also see them as as having this this merge where you know where you you would absolutely want to recreate as much as possible the the what you're recreating digitally in the in the software so if you remove an element of that then you're you know you're training on a or training or driving or racing on a on a loop that is that is open it's not closed and um, not to mention you know now with vr um having motion reduces your um reduces nausea anyway so there's a mm. if you're doing esports with vr there's a you know massive benefit to it in that respect it's interesting because there's definitely a debate to be had here because some people will say that um adding motion yes adds to realism great and it also probably adds to the spectacle of an esports event seeing all the drivers kind of mm -hmm. moving around but what it won't help with is accessibility. So if you watch CSGO or Dota or Call of Duty, the people that you're watching are using the same keyboard and mouse or the same controller that you have access to at home because it's 40, 50 pounds to buy. Mm -hmm. If sim racing goes down a route where the rigs that they're using in esports are all five, 10, 15, 20,000 pounds euros each, then all of a sudden sim racing as an esport as a spectacle is now even less accessible than it already is in terms of, you know, a lot of the time they're using Fanatec or SimuCube, which immediately rules out a huge portion of the fan base in terms of them being able to feel a part of it and to be able to do exactly the same things. Do you see what I mean in terms of yeah. CSGO, for example, all you need is a keyboard and mouse and you can have exactly the same experience as the guys on stage? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could compare that though to like now it's standard for racing drivers to train um on a simulator and they'll they'll put far more hours um into their training on a, on a simulator in a in a digital experience but when it comes to the day when it comes to the the, the, the arena you know your esports mm. arena and you come to actually race and when you actually come to the track you're doing it for real in a real race car and it's a physical experience but the majority of their actual preparation for that day is is not in a race car yeah it's not the real thing um so what's the difference for you know in terms of accessibility it's really you can train at home on a on a keyboard um you know with a with a gamepad if you want as, as the absolute lowest possible uh training value but you know mm. as a basic uh, setup with a logitech and a and a static rig or you know something you made out of wood whatever um you can still train and prepare for that for the arena event, you know, the arena event is your day at the racetrack where you all get in your, you know, million pound race cars that need a whole team of people to run it. And, it, and in the esports arena, you've got a massive team of people running all of the audio and the, uh, the mm. complexities of the live stream. Um, it's a, it's a big operation. Um, and that's, it's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. Um, and that's, it doesn't mean that it can't be done. It doesn't mean you can't have esports with, 20 static rigs with affordable controls and because that's what's that's what's currently um has been driving it up to this point but my personal interests and and 
you know, and where we've seen ourselves being excited about getting involved is when there's when the the industry is being ready for that type of experience that we see as being essential. So for our for racing drivers, for professional racing drivers, everyone who comes to us, every professional racing driver that comes to us and tests our equipment, ninety percent of them see the value and the improvement in the motion and they report mm. back on you know how they can get within 0.2 of a second um within their the real race car on the track um you know on the simulator so we we, we know what is valuable in terms of hardware and in terms of equipment and we so, and that's where we see um esports going and where it should be it should be that higher end um, level of equipment and it should be a physical experience like esports um stars should be sportsmen in, in my opinion uh to a degree it's it's never gonna they're not gonna have to deal with the kind of g-forces that lewis hamilton has to experience they don't have to be it doesn't have to be that physical experience but it, it's more of a physical experience than just sitting with a very low powered logitech steering wheel which yeah. is the you know the popular argument that well, I can be as fast as as you on mm-hmm. your twenty thousand pound rig on my Logitech type thing, but well, yeah, and and yeah, that may be the case, but should that be the standard that is set? You know, F F one could say, well, we you know our standard is doesn't have to be these these highly strung two hundred mile an hour cars. It could be this standard, but no, that's what they've set as the standard. This is the level of car that you need to build um, to enter into F one. Um, and this is the type of physical experience that the drivers are going to have to uh, endure in order to race at this level. And it's a very, very physical experience if you want to be at the top of the game. Uh, I think that the, the simulation experience should be the same. Maybe it will be in the higher levels of, of esports and higher levels of racing. Maybe you work your way up to um, to the higher levels where you are driving in, in equipment that is far more demanding on your body um because that doesn't really exist right now there is no standards yeah yeah yeah. progression there's no standards there's no progression if you look at the progression in real racing you know you're starting off in a go-kart that you know we can all just go and jump in and and experience ourselves on the weekend it's very easy to access and then it works up from there it gets harder and harder um you know it's a very gradual progression to the point where a formula one car extremely difficult to drive with with such high g forces that you have to be you know physically fit and physically trained to be able to handle those um those forces on your body and that doesn't exist in in esports and i'd like to see it i'd like to see it exist and then that's a very very interesting take very interesting take and actually i was definitely uh, going into that question i was thinking well no you want it to be accessible so that people that are watching at home on twitch could stop watching and then go and do something which is similar if it's the the more different it is the less they can relate to it but actually i'm a huge f1 fan and cannot relate to to driving an f1 car sadly yeah (laughs) but i still enjoy it so it's an yeah it's a really interesting take but but it's accessible you know f1 is accessible in you know to a degree we can all jump on the game and and we can drive it and and it's accessible but competing at the world-class level in esports where you are the top racers in the world um should it be as easy as just sitting on your couch with a controller or should it be, you know, have, you know, more similar similarities to, to real world motorsport. 
where um the, no that's a i'm not saying yeah, that's a, how it should be or that i'm right or you know it's just what i personally feel and mm. how we think um it would be you know a good way to to have the the industry evolve and develop and then we would very interesting become more heavily involved in that and then i think there there may be v-rig could fit quite nicely into the the more entry level systems uh, more affordable where an esports company could um, invest more easily in 20 you know v-rigs for example uh, and you are working your way up to uh, you know when you're playing in the higher the higher levels the the, the f1 equivalent you're yeah, you're yeah. on a you know 50 60,000 pound simulator that's got the highest level of motion and g4 seatbelts systems that it's going to be pulling on you and and you know, exerting force on your body. Um, it can go as extreme as you want. I would I would probably say it would be a VR experience to be as fully immersive as possible. So VR, do you think VR is the most immersive Absol- experience then? The old VR versus triples. Absolutely. I mean, out. we've just launched um we just launched a triple fifty five inch Samsung Arc display um setup. I think we were the world's first to to do that and that's about as close as you can get in terms of immersive um without putting a headset on because there's there's a massive demand for non-vr solutions and the majority of our clients they don't Mm. want vr um it's just it's just it's just a step too far really having to have a a headset on especially when they're looking to train for a long time and i don't think the tech is i don't think the tech is caught up enough yeah i think the you know the refresh rates and the the clarity that, that, that is missing slightly like even the the, the most expensive uh, vr headsets i feel like they're not quite there yet um and you've got to pair them with a hell of a of a, a gpu to make it to make it a, a properly immersive um yeah. experience but i feel like 2023 might be the year that that gap is bridged yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens i mean vajo aero vajo aero when that came out was um was the biggest that was a bit of a because up to then it Mm. was like we we, we would really have to there was a a massive compromise when you're demoing it it's like you can't really see onto the apex clearly and like you're you're using vr you've got the massive benefit of the extra immersion but there is a there was that compromise and the Vaja Aero has definitely like closed that gap massively. It's um a lot more a lot more crisp and you can see really clearly into the apex. Mm. So we we're definitely getting there now and we can confidently recommend VR now without um without having to yeah having to without having to caveats. add those caveats and exp- uh, yeah so you can so you can now confidently recommend Project. VR yeah. to your clients without it being like a look try VR yeah. but just be aware that x y and z yeah exactly so we're we're confidently recommending it now as a viable solution um the only caveat that still is there Mm. is the nausea aspect and that's just it either affects you or it doesn't and so that's still that's still a factor um and some customers they they absolutely just want whatever is the best and they're willing to even train train themselves out of the nausea (laughs) which is possible um yeah yeah, it's not probably something I wouldn't do, but I, I'm lucky. I don't. It doesn't affect me, surprisingly, because I'm not great on a, a boat that's bobbing around. It will make me sick and stuff. So, I was surprised that I um I got away with the VR. Even you know we started with the very first Oculus um, development kits, and 
I was absolutely fine with it. So, yeah. which is why we got behind it. Really, if I if it didn't if it didn't work for me, I probably would have struggled to it get would behind difficult it. Difficult to have passion for um, it. You know, it, yeah, exactly. No, you have to. I've, I've got to have passion for for everything we do. And um, if I want to get behind it and invest yeah. time, resources, and money well, into it, Neville, thank you so much for so, your time. I've got one more question, and I like to ask this to people yeah. like yourself who are kind of, you know, at the forefront of what they're doing in sim racing, right? And this is a really unfair question, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This is a really <laughs> unfair question, but put yourself <laughs> five years from now. Go on, hit me. Right, five years from now. What are the biggest differences you see in A, sim racing and B, Vasaro? So, uh, A, sim racing. Okay, let's start with that. The biggest difference is, I think, I mean, firstly, like just AI just popped into my head. Like what, what's AI going to do to this ind- to, to sim racing? Because I'm like heavily into AI right now, creating AI art and um you know, I've been doing a lot of it in my, you know, as a sort of spare time hobby, and the the technology and the tools are just unbelievable. Like every day, there's some new tool. Like, how's that gonna impact sim racing? Because it's going to impact every single industry. Obviously, we've got AI. We've had AI in mm. of of sorts in in racing for a long time. You know, the cars can sort of yeah, work yeah. out that you're coming up behind them and you know, respond and. Um, but this is a whole nother level what we're what we're facing this year and it's all it's all really just happening so five years of ai what's that going to do to the industry in terms of software and possibly even hardware i don't know whether it will start to affect um the hardware it could even affect you know how we manufacture and there's a there's a a massive um unknown really of what what could that do i'm quite excited to see how AI could um could you know affect this industry and and for the benefit of everyone in it. So um, aside from that, esports is obviously growing. That's a that's an obvious one. Uh, I'd love to see it being a a, a bigger industry with a, a lot more sort of money in it to support um, support the teams and allow more people to get into the industry and. Um, and in terms of hardware, that's obviously changing since the pandemic. There's lots of companies that are already very established in other industries that have seen mm. a big opportunity in the, in this industry, which is great. So yeah. companies like Asetek and Mozza Racing, which are already a very you know a big established company, have come in and um, are really adding massive value to the to the industry. And I think we're going to see more of that. So you know having some really big players, big already established players coming in and developing products really fast is um is great because up to now it's it's been a lot of companies starting mm. from from scratch and just slowly building up uh, and developing products over time which which takes a long time it's been quite a slow a slow uh, progress over the last 10 years and in the last year or two you know look at look at what Mozza Racing have done in the last in the last year but but that's because they weren't starting from nothing you know they've already had a huge um portfolio of products in the in the camera and gimbal market they already know what they're doing so they've been able to really accelerate they've done what took fan fanatec a decade to do they've they've nearly caught up with them if not already overtaking them in 
in a year it's uh, it's amazing and that and that needed big established companies to to look at our little industry and to jump into it like you know Asatec is another example of an existing mm. company in another space sort of coming in so i think um it's going to accelerate the industry and and in 5 years time we'll yeah. see what the result of that is with other it's a great indicator isn't it for sim racing when you see all these huge companies that asset i always use asset as a case study that they you know they were the leaders in their field for for cooling systems and they get the gaming market you know they do cooling systems for gaming pcs and liquid cooling right they know gamers they're like and they know hardware and they've decided to enter one more market you know they've been doing cooling systems for 15 years and then the the Mm. only other market they've tried or that that, that they've entered is sim racing it's kind of it's, it's a good sign and i always think if you look at other esports yeah. sectors of esports, they must look at sim racing with with a huge amount of envy. Because I always say this, but there's only so many ways you can upgrade a keyboard or mouse or a controller. Whereas a with a sim rig, it's endless ways of upgrading. No one's ever finished. There's always something to to add to it. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I'm still yeah. <laughs> I'm still doing it now, and I'm still as passionate as I was 11 years ago. Because um, it's, it's it's literally endless. There's so many possibilities and we've got loads of things in the pipeline that are pretty exciting we've got loads of products in development um in five years time those products will, will be out uh the moment we're not yeah at the moment we're not sort of considered we're not really looking at developing our mm. own wheelbases or you know um or pedals or things like that um i think that would just be too much of a distraction at the moment we're going to continue focusing on developing the hardware out and integrating the, the best components um not not reinventing the wheel literally <laughs> uh, because there's so much to do there's so much to do just doing that and where we've now started to really um you know we're now able to do the full fiberglass body shells as well which kind of for our type of customer and the commercial market and entertainment theme parks and arcades and things like that is a really crucial element um they would never they wouldn't look twice at a no as an aluminium profile rig and even our even our bare frame which has got far more curves is not it's not good enough needs to look tidy they want want to see yeah they want to see things that mimic Mm. an airplane with a body shell or 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 a a racing car it's it's got to have that finished look so their skills that we developed over the last um few years to the you know not just the the separate individual formula one shaped cars but taking those kind of that concept and applying it to our existing frames which is sort of a a trickier thing to do and now that we've got that we can kind of we've got a lot of things in in the pipeline um we're also speaking to i guess this moves on to Vasaro, where Vasaro is um gonna be Um, so I'm not a great, I'm not a great future planner. It's not, I, I, my, my future plans tend to be more bold visions. Like I want to yeah. lead this space or I want to, or, you know, they, 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 they don't tend to be as, uh, you kind of know the destination, but you I haven't planned the route. I don't, yeah. Cause I like my route yeah. to be really flexible and I like to be able to pivot on a daily basis and let my ideas just, if an idea comes in. I can't. I don't have you, to park that idea. Because you've already got a roadmap forever. For s- because I've got such a strict. Yeah. I've got such a strict. 
Yeah, exactly. I, it's, I prefer to be a bit more flexible. Um, but we are currently in talks with a major supercar manufacturer and I'm really excited about because we, we've done it in the past. We did a, mm. a license with McLaren, but back then we didn't have the skills we have now. We, you know, we built a really nice range of simulators for McLaren. Uh, we integrated this, the, the McLaren seat and the steering wheel, fully electric, you know, seat straight out of the cars. We didn't have the skills to um, integrate a sort of the fiberglass body shell, which is what we kind of need for that type of really bespoke um, branded product. Mm, so yeah. a few years later, we've now done it for F1 Arcade. We've got a really um, slick integrated body shell on a, on a compact chassis. And they do um, look beautiful. Yeah, it, it came out amazing because it's, it's a different type of product to your, the full size Formula One cars we have. Like it's yeah. hard to take that and make it a, you know, a product that more people can buy and put in their in their home. And so we are in. We've been waiting, and we've had a lot of companies come to us. Everyone from Ferrari to Mercedes, you name it. But we've been kind of we're waiting to decide and pick the one that's right for us. It's strangely we're in a in a in a good position where we get to pick which supercar company we want and these are these are massive organizations that's a statement that (laughs) yeah it is because there's not 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 many people not many companies like lots of people can build aluminium profile frames and it's a very it's a very quick to enter the market and start building aluminium frames it's very quick entry into the into the market and lots of companies have done that um but it's not a very easy thing to to do what we do and to build something like the f1 arcade model especially mm. as a fully fully certified product um so yeah there, i guess there's plenty of companies that will say that they can do it but the reality of doing it and then building a volume um is also is the next part of the challenge I mean, yeah we've currently got a twenty thousand square foot facility we've got our own metal factory our own fiber laser machines tube laser machines brake presses powder coat facility we manufacture in-house ourselves um and we're expanding currently we're about to take on 20 more staff so if anyone out there is looking to um come and work for a sim company we are we're accepting applications um so it's a big a big influx we're we're having at the moment and we're taking on another 10,000 square foot of space um by a year from now, we'll be needing around thirty-five to forty thousand square foot um, facility, um, and we'll probably be up to around sixty staff at that point as well. So every year we're going to be sort of expanding um, quite significantly, and it's um, yeah, and you need all of that to be able to not only develop design and, and prototype a product, to, but then to be able to deliver that type of product um on the on the requirements of uh, of, a, of a company that you're you're working with to license um, so yeah that's currently in talks and if it happens great if it doesn't that's fine we've we've got a lot of other things to um to do so that's that's pretty exciting and hopefully you'll see that that come in and yeah, I guess five years from now, I don't know. But what I do know is what's happening now and what's in the pipeline. Mm. Lots of new products. 
Um, I know what I would like, where I'd like us to be in five years is to be a much bigger company um, with a unified facility. We're currently, as we're expanding, we're we're spreading out. We're yeah. basically grabbing every unit we possibly can on our estate. We've now run out of space and we're having to move to um, other units away from us, which is not a great way to scale the business. Um, so in five years from now, I hope that we'll be in one large building and have everything under one roof, uh, which would make our factory tours easier because currently when a customer comes, the showroom is now separate it's a right. one minute drive one minute drive down the road to our main factory um and it just makes our our visits a bit a bit difficult <laughs> yeah. and we're about to take another building which is in another place um down another road and uh, so we're gonna have like three sites. sim racing empire <laughs> yeah we're kind of taking over the estate but that's not how we want it it would you know really we want everything under under one roof um i i would probably argue that to be honest, this is this is a very minor problem to have, a very good problem to have. It's a it's a mm. it's a symptom of a huge amount of success. So I think it's a, it's a perfectionist who would look at this and go, "Oh, it's a, it's a nightmare. This it's a real. It's not going as planned. We've <laughs> we've we've got all this demand. We're selling yeah. all these units. We've got all these staff, and we've had to just get units all over the place. It's oh, it's 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 a nightmare. Actually, if you, it doesn't take much of a step back to go, okay." this is a symptom of our like incredible speed, uh, our growth. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to step back and, and look, and you know, when we, we have clients visit us and, and they're like, they say, Oh, you must be, you know, you must just stop and look at this and be really proud and of what you created. And, and, and you just don't get that. You don't have the time or the headspace. And also it's not really in my personality to sort of sit and look. You don't have time to stop and look. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you don't have time to stop and kind of look and in awe and kind of like give yourself a pat on the back, really. And I guess like today is is why today is so great. Like sitting and talking to you for two hours, um, minus the sort of technical <laughs> in- interruptions that you've had, which is great. I know. <laughs> um, today, <laughs> today is it's a great. It's been a great opportunity because it's an opportunity to look back to my past, to look back to like you know why are we here now? Why why am I here today? to i guess you know give yourself a bit of a pat on the back of what you've created um and to kind of sum it all up into into this moment now um so it's it's almost it's really looking back at our history and it's a super useful thing to do to to sit and and talk with you and hopefully the the listeners listeners will will be interested and and gain something from some of the uh, some of my waffle I hope it doesn't mean I too much I feel incredibly um, privileged uh to have to have been the one to get to listen to this kind of recap of the last 10 11 years of Vasara because I think your story is one that the rest of any other company in sim racing with their software hardware or in between can look at your story and take inspiration from it and think right you know, you've you've gone from from nothing to something, and that something is 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 incredible. It's growing. It's fast. It's serving all markets within sim racing, and all of those indicators are positive. So anybody else in the industry can look at Vasaro and go, "I can make if you know there is a success to be made in this industry. Look how look how Vasaro has grown." Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's all we want. We want lots of companies coming into the industry. We don't 
we don't want to just be like oh this is our party you can't you can't come the more the more companies that come in the more competition there is and as long as it's healthy competition then i think that's great uh, and it's just and, and we need we need lots of companies here we can't do it all like and you know us and the other other you know companies that serve the high end and the companies serving mm. the middle and the and the the entry there's everyone's flat out like I'm, I'm i'm sure if you spoke to to most of the other companies everyone is super busy there's not enough we can only scale so fast so i welcome you know new people into the party because there's there's a lot of um simulators to make <laughs> and a there's lot, a lot of, of sim races to make happy and it's just yeah yeah one of the that's a challenging thing yeah. for sure um but yeah there's i think the industry is going to keep growing so it's exciting it really is it's we've it's been a sort of the curve has kind of been like this it's been very steady and then it's now i think we're here mm. we're at the elbow and it's uh, it's definitely accelerating for us as a company it's we're having that growth but i think the industry is also doing a similar thing i think so, so too I, I i feel incredibly lucky that this is my my everyday to, to be in this industry with people who are, are here for fun. They're here for the, the, they're here for the passion of it. Every, everybody I speak to, and I'm very lucky yeah. on this podcast because I get to speak to people who, who often do this full time. Some, you know, some occasionally it's, it's a streamer who do it in the evenings and weekends because they love it. But a lot of the time I speak to people who work in sim racing all day, every day. And it's such a, it's such a great industry to work in. I think it's very easy to forget that very few people get to spend their nine to five doing something that they truly genuinely love in a, in a sector that, which is essentially gaming with, you know, maybe you've got, you've got probably got yeah. a few, maybe you're an exception actually, cause you have customers that are racing drivers who are doing it for, for their profession, but most of us are doing it for fun. Most of us are doing it to play games. Even if you're trying to get to, yeah. you know, the lower levels of, of, of esports, it's still for, for fun, which is an incredible, incredibly privileged uh, life to, to lead. And I look at, the success of Basaro and feel incredibly confident in what we're doing. Obviously, seeing your growth um, is a good indicator that, that what we're doing at Gridfinder is gonna is gonna grow too. Um, Neville, we, we're going two and a half hours, and I can't thank you enough for what is it's it been two, two and, and a half, half hours. And I can't, wow. yeah, thank you so much okay. for this for this time telling us your story, your yep. story about your university days. I think are absolutely fantastic. Selling selling computers <laughs> to your mates that is such a classic startup founder story. Um, I've absolutely loved it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and listen to this, and this is probably going to be well, it's definitely going to be our first two parter that we'll release as a as a special. Um, and it's been fantastic. So thank okay. you, thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for um, inviting me and, and let me be a part of it. So uh, you know, I love. <laughs> you were saying something about how you love what what us guys are doing. As, to say there's a bit of a bit of a rude way to end the conversation. <laughs> Exit. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Two and a half hours. Bye. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. I mean, yeah. Thanks for for letting me be a part of it. With you know, I absolutely love what you guys are doing, and obviously met you at Sim Expo, and we did a few inter interviews there, and yeah, I think it's great. So I'm happy to to come and support, and anytime you want to have a chat, you know, as things change and develop on our side, then just give me a shout. 100% will do. This is definitely a journey that we'll, we'll um, endeavor to follow on the, on the podcast. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care. See you later. Well, wasn't that a long and great conversation? You know, I, I really think the V-Rig idea that 
he's put together is a really good idea because, you know, to be honest with you, Vasaro rigs were absolutely something that I want in sitting mm. right here behind me, right? But completely but unobtainable. <laughs> completely unobtainable. And with V-Rig coming to the market, I think that's just going to make it so that, you know, Vasaro stuff is attainable for the average sim racer now. Yeah, yeah. And I like that they haven't just been like, okay, Vasaro, we have a strong brand. We have this super, super, super premium range. And we're going to come in with like a consumer range, which is like all the other consumer ranges, but it's got the Vasaro badge on it. Right, they, right. Again, like he always does, started with a completely blank piece of paper. And actually, the rig looks good. The, look, the rig looks it really, really good. Does. You know, they've avoided the aluminum, aluminum profile, um, but it still looks like bulky. It looks industrial. It's got some really nice angles at the front. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Um, Me too. And I expect it's the first of many iterations of that rig. And and they've also they you know they've gone straight in with like quite an obvious USP which is the the foldability of the design. So you know you can fold it away and put it in a cupboard if you if you can use it in a spare room you could put it away in I the spare room cupboard which is quite clever. That's the major major difference in my mind is that you can you can put it away. Because a lot of these rigs, obviously, you just you basically have to have a dedicated area of your house or your yeah. flat or your apartment whatever in order to have it sitting out. So Unless changing it up a little seat, bit. Which is like yeah. 300 pounds, but then a play seat has the, you know, the column that comes up between your legs and it's flimsy yep. and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, they've really, I, I like it. I like it a lot. And it's kind of nuts that they've got the V-Rig range, but then they've also got like the F1 arcade range where right. you know, you're looking like 40, 50, 60,000 pounds, euros, whatever for these super bespoke monocoques and, <laughs> motion and they've got a full range of stuff and i was really interested hearing about how he's had to scale the footprint of the business in like physically like geographically yeah. like all those he was saying how he's got like you know we have one warehouse now a second warehouse now looking for another warehouse and he wants to put it all under one roof but he's got like half of a trading estate right now all working on rigs um <laughs> after the episode he actually invited me down to do a little bit of a tour which we should definitely do yeah, Very we should definitely, cool. definitely do that. So, well, hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. This episode, of course, just like all of our episodes, sponsored by Track Racer. So if you're looking to upgrade your rig, change out your rig, whatever, go to trackracer.com to do that. And then also we have GridFinder. If you are someone who's just looking for a league, go to gridfinder.com, select your platform, your simulator, and even the day of week that you want to race. And we'll have thousands of just different options for you to join and get on some league racing which is a lot of fun or you know if you happen to be one of those league owners that needs a little bit of promotion go ahead and list your league on grid finder and have thousands and thousands and thousands of drivers getting into your grid so you can fill those slots and have full grids for all of your races other than that tom do you have any last things to share with the listeners and viewers nope absolutely nothing just big thank you to never for giving up so much time i really enjoyed that chat and we probably could have spoken for hours and hours and hours and hours but you've got to cut it off somewhere otherwise the next right. three months will just be, <laughs> will be Vasaro well, episodes <laughs> next time he has a product release maybe we can get him on the show and even go visit and feature it in the youtube and stuff like that so we'll see what we can do there other than that, this was episode 37 of Sim Sundays. We appreciate you listening or watching, whichever you chose to do for this episode, and we will see you next week. Goodbye.